If you could only choose one word to describe how you're doing at this point in the pandemic, what word would you use? What word would you choose? Well, I think the number one word that most people would use right now to describe how they're feeling is the word weary. I think we're just getting a little bit weary and a little bit tired because this pandemic is dragging on and on and on. And as I was thinking and praying about what to speak on today, God put a message in my heart and the title of it is, now this is kind of a discouraging title, but I think it's where we are. When things go from bad to worse and there's no end in sight. Now that's, that's the sermon title today. When things go from bad to worse and there's no end in sight. Well, when you get in a situation like that, what happens is you become weary, you become tired, you become exhausted, and you just wonder, is this ever going to end? And so let's begin this morning by opening our Bibles to the New Testament book of Galatians. I want us to begin in the New Testament and then move to the Old Testament. But I want to show you a verse in Galatians chapter number six that you probably have underlined in your Bible, and you've probably marked this verse up through the years, but if not, today would be a great day to take a pen or to take a pencil. I normally always use a pencil when I'm marking in my Bible, just so it won't bleed through to the other page. But take whatever you want to write with or a highlighter, but look in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9, and I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and let us not grow weary. Mark those words, grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so when a situation drags on, you know, take this coronavirus, it's just dragging on and on and on. And in the state of Texas right now, the numbers have spiked. It's worse now than it has ever been. And so we're beginning to wonder what in the world is happening. How could we be this far into the pandemic, and instead of it getting better, it's getting worse. When's it going to flatten the curve? When will it come back down, and when will it get better? And we don't know the answer to any of those questions, and so what happens is we just get weary, and we get tired. And Paul said when you get like that, if you're not careful, you can lose heart, and you can just throw up your hands, at least you feel like you want to give up and you want to quit. And so I could have called the sermon today, what to do when you get weary, because that's what we're going to be thinking about. Now, notice Paul said, let us not grow weary. You don't get weary immediately. When you're going through a problem in your life, maybe uh, it doesn't have to be the coronavirus. It could be any situation in life, any trial that you're facing or any difficulty that you're up against. If it just lasts for a little while, you're going to be all right. But if that struggle drags on and on and on, and on and on, there's a point out there where you grow weary. It's a process, and it can really begin to wear us down. And so I began to think, now, God, I know there are examples in the Bible of people who grew weary, who were going through a situation, and, and if, if they were asked at that time in their life to describe what was happening, they would say, you know what I was going through? Things were going from bad to worse, and there was no end in sight. And so I thought, now, God, what would be the best example? Who could I talk about who grew weary or at least was tempted to grow weary? And God brought an Old Testament example to my mind that many of us are familiar with, and that is the Old Testament character, Joseph. And so if you'll turn now to the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, I want us to look at his life today, at least part of it. 
And I want us to think about not only what Joseph went through, but how he responded and how he handled that situation. Now, just a little background, if you're not familiar with Joseph, let me give you just a little bit of information that might be helpful. First of all, Joseph came from a very large family. His father was Jacob, and so that means his grandfather was Isaac, and his great-grandfather was Abraham. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But Joseph was not the only child of Jacob. In fact, Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons. So Joseph came from a big family, and since Joseph had been born late in Jacob's life, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Now, we all know that parents are not supposed to play favorites with their kids. You're supposed to love all your kids the same. And yet, Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved his other kids. And in Genesis chapter 37, so go ahead and find that passage. We're going to see in this passage that Jacob gave a gift to Joseph because of how much he loved him and how grateful he was to have had a son born to him uh, at this Uh, advanced age in life, but when he gave Joseph this gift, it made Joseph's brothers resent him and envy him, and it made them very, very uh, upset. So in Genesis chapter 37, look in verse number 3. It says, now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic or a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And so here's Joseph, and he's receiving this gift from his dad, and uh, it makes his brothers jealous. And so here we're beginning to see a little situation in the family. We're having envy, jealousy, and even hatred. Well, it's going to go from bad to worse because in chapter number five, we read that Joseph had a dream. And in this dream, he saw where God was going to do something very special and very awesome in his life. And so look in verse number five. It says, now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. We won't look at the specifics of the dream today, but the short of it is God gave Joseph a dream that he was going to do something special, unique, and absolutely unbelievable. Well, he told that dream to his brothers, and it made them resent him even more. Look in verse number nine. It says, then Joseph dreamed still another dream. So now he has a second dream. And he told it to his brothers. And look in verse 11. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And so Joseph now has two dreams that he's going to go on to do something great in life. And maybe Joseph should have just kept those dreams to himself. Maybe he shouldn't have told his brothers that. But he told them, and it caused them to be envious and to be jealous and to hate Joseph even more. And so now Joseph's first problem was his brothers turned against him. And that's a difficult situation. Anytime members of your family turn against you, uh, that's very difficult. That may be one of, that, that certainly is one of the most challenging things in life when you begin to have problems within your own family. And Joseph was having those problems. Well, As we read on in this story, we read that his brothers decided that they wanted to make Joseph pay for what they perceived to be his arrogance and his uh, selfishness and his the fact that he was the favorite son of the father. And so they devised a scheme that they would throw Joseph into a pit 
and there he would die, and uh, they would kill him in that way. Well, look in verse number 24. It just says this. It says, Then they, that is his brothers, took Joseph and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Now look in verse 25. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So these brothers throw Joseph in a pit, and they don't seem to be feeling too guilty about it. They sit down to have a meal. And so Joseph is feeling their hatred, feeling their resentment. They're, they are literally trying to kill him. They're not guilty-ridden at all. They don't feel badly about that at all. They're sitting around a table, and they're having a meal. But we read in verse number 26 that one of Joseph's brothers, Judah, spoke up with a plan. And here's what he said. He said, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hand... uh, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listen. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So for whatever reason, whether it was guilt or whether it's because he wanted to make a little money, Judah came up with an idea that they should pull Joseph out of the pit sell him to these Midianites who were traveling down to Egypt, make a little money, then they would be free of the guilt of murder. And so that's what they did. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes because things now are going from bad to worse. First, he had to deal with family resentment. His family's turned against him. Second, he had to deal with the fact that his brothers now have captured him, thrown him in a pit, and tried to kill him. Now he's been pulled up out of the pit, and he's like in a caravan going down to Egypt, and he's being treated horribly. He's being treated terribly. And so now Joseph is going to Egypt and has has been totally betrayed by his brothers. And so things are going from bad to worse. Well, when we come to chapter 39, we see that things seem to get a little better for Joseph down in Egypt. Look in verse number one. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh was like the president of Egypt. And Potiphar was like a high-ranking official uh, in his cabinet, as it were. And so Potiphar, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So now Joseph is in Egypt, and now he's been bought by Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So now it looks like things are getting a little bit better. Yes, he's in Egypt. Yes, his family has betrayed him. But he's got a good job now. He's working for a high-ranking Egyptian official, and he's doing pretty well. Well, if we continue to read in chapter 39, we would read that Potiphar's wife began to look at Joseph, and the mild way to say it is she developed a crush on Joseph, 
A much stronger and more accurate way to say that is she began to desire Joseph and she wanted to have an affair with Joseph. And so Potiphar's wife, day after day, day after day, day after day, was seducing Joseph. He was handsome, he was well-built, he was good-looking, and she was attracted to him, but she now wanted to have an affair with him, and she is trying everything she can to lure him uh, into that trap. Well, Joseph resisted her temptations, and Joseph even said to her, and I'm paraphrasing, but Joseph said to her, it wouldn't be right for me to be in a relationship with you. You're married to Potiphar. And not only that, it would be a sin against God. And so there's no way that I can do something like that with you. And so when she on one day was trying to seduce him, he ran out of the house and he got out of Dodge. He, he fled temptation. The New Testament had not even been written yet, and yet Joseph was doing what Paul would tell us later to do, flee sexual immorality. And that's what he did. He got out of town. Well, when he left that house, she became very angry. She became a woman scorned, and now she feels rejected. And she's thinking, how dare he reject my advances to him like that? And so she begins to scream, and she begins to yell, and she begins to make up this story that Joseph tried to rape her. Totally bogus, totally false, not an ounce of truth not an ounce of truth in it, and yet that was her story, and she was sticking with it. She told her husband and everybody else, this man from Israel has come down here to Egypt, and he tried to rape me. Well, you can imagine if the Potiphar's wife is accusing a foreigner of a crime that seriously, uh, he's going to have to pay a price for that, and he did. Joseph was arrested, and Joseph was thrown in prison. So now, now what was the sermon title? When things go from bad to worse, and there's no end in sight. It began with a little family issue back in Israel. His brothers were envious, jealous, and they hated him. Then they tried to kill him. Then they reconsidered, and they sold him down to the, to the Midianites going to Egypt. Now he's in Egypt. He's got a good job. Things are getting better. But now he's accused of rape. He's in prison. Things are going from bad to worse, and he's not long, sure how long he's going to be in this prison. But he's nonetheless in prison. Well, interestingly enough, while he's in prison, he meets two other men who are thrown into prison because they've offended uh, Pharaoh. He meets a man who was a butler for Pharaoh. He, he, was a, uh, he worked for Pharaoh. And then he meet, meets a man who was a baker, so the butler and the baker. So now in this prison, I'm sure there are other people, but you have Joseph there, falsely accused, and you have the butler and the baker there in prison. They're kind of like cellmates together. Well, time goes by, and one night, the butler uh, and the baker both have a dream. And they wake up the next morning, and they don't know what the dream meant, but they're sharing this with Joseph. And they say, Joseph, you're not going to, the baker, baker says to Joseph, you're not going to believe what I dreamed last night. And he tells him his dream. And he says, Joseph, what do you think that, what do you think that dream means? And Joseph gave his interpretation of that dream, and if we wanted to, we could read the specifics of the dream in Genesis chapter number 40, but the short of it is this. Joseph said to the baker, your dream was a bad dream, and what's going to happen is in a very few days, you're going to be taken out of this prison, but you're going to be hanged. You're going to be killed. And so, that's exactly what happened. Just like Joseph said, the baker lost his life. Well, the butler is hearing all this, and he says to Joseph, well, Joseph, I had a dream too. 
And I hope the outcome of mine is not the same as the baker's. And Joseph said, well, what was your dream? And he told him his dream. And Joseph said, well, no, your dream has a happier ending. In a few days, you're going to be released from this prison, and you're going to begin to serve Pharaoh again. You're going to get your old job back. So the baker had a bad dream. I always remember that baker, B-A, and then bad, B-A. So those two A's helped me remember baker's dream was bad, and the butler's dream was good. But the point is, uh, Joseph interpreted their dreams. Well, Joseph said to the butler, right when he was about to be released from prison, he said, now listen, when you get out of this dungeon, remember me. Be sure to speak a good word to Pharaoh on my uh, behalf because I don't want to stay in this prison. It's horrible down here. And the butler said, you got it, Joseph. You have interpreted my dream. You have helped me, and I'm going to remember you. Well, the butler got out. He was so happy to be out of prison, started his old job back, completely forgot Joseph. And so now Joseph, things are going from bad to worse. He's in prison, accused of a crime he never committed. You know his name was Mud in Egypt. You can imagine if you're a foreigner in Egypt now and you've been accused of uh, what he was accused of, and that word gets out, everybody's thinking you're no good, so his reputation is shot, and his only hope of getting out was the butler, and now the butler has forgotten him. Things are going from bad to worse, and Joseph continues to languish in prison wondering, God, how long is this going to last? Well, time goes by. One day, Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh's sharing his dream with the butler, and the butler remembers Joseph. And the butler says to Pharaoh, hey, I forgot, but there's a guy down in the prison named Joseph. I had a dream. He interpreted it, it came true. The butler had a, the baker had a dream. He interpreted it, it became true. And so, if you'll get Joseph, Pharaoh, maybe he'll tell you what the dream is, and that dream uh, can be interpreted for you. And so, Pharaoh calls for Joseph, tells him his dream, and Joseph interprets it, and then Joseph became the, uh, like the prime minister of Egypt. Pharaoh was the boss, but he was, Joseph became it one step under Pharaoh. And so, anyway, the point I'm making today is in, in Joseph's travels from the pit to the palace, he had a lot of stops. He had a stop in a prison, and he had all these things that were working against him. And I'm sure if we could have talked to Joseph, he would have said, man, things are going from bad to worse, and I don't know how long this is going to last. Well, I want us to stop there as far as the Bible story goes today, and I want us to try now to make some application because even though Joseph's circumstances were different from our circumstances, uh, I think uh, the application is very much the same for us today. And so I want us to think about this. How can we not only survive, but how can we thrive in our lives when things go from bad to to worse. And I want to just make two points today or give you two thoughts that will answer that question from the life of Joseph because these are the things that Joseph did. Or actually, I just want to give you one thing. Originally, I was going to make three statements right here. I was going to say we need to do one, two, three. And what I was going to say is we have to be full of faith, we have to be full of love, and we have to be full of patience. And the more I worked on this sermon late in the week, I just felt like why don't you just make this a three-week series on Joseph? Because this, thing, this pandemic doesn't seem to be going away, so let's just go slowly and more thoroughly cover the material. And so next week, I want to talk to you about the importance of having a heart full of love when things go from bad to worse. Because Joseph never got bitter. 
And then I want to talk to you the following week about how to have a heart full of patience when things go from bad to worse because Joseph seemed to hang in there pretty well with his patience. But today, I want to talk to you about having a heart full of faith. What I'm saying to you today is when things are going from bad to worse, we have to be full of faith. And Joseph was full of faith. Let me give you a scripture verse in 1 John chapter 5 and in verse number 4. The Bible says, faith is what overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And so at a time like this, more than ever, we need faith. Now, we need faith in two areas. There are two ways. You know, faith has to have an object. So somebody just says, have faith. Well, have faith in what? Well, first of all, we, like Joseph, need to have faith in the presence of God. We need to have faith in the presence of God. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 39, and I want to make sure that you have highlighted some of these verses because here we see that in the midst of all his problems, Joseph had the presence of God in his life. Genesis chapter 39, look in verse number 2. First phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. I have that underlined uh, in my Bible. Look in verse 3. It says, and his master saw, now watch this, that the Lord was with him, that is, with Joseph. And now look down in verse number 21, because now Joseph is in prison, but notice what it says. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Look in verse 23, the end of the verse. The Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And so in the midst of all of Joseph's problems, pit, Prison, false accusations, not knowing how long it would last, family dynamics, everything's turned south, sour and south for him, gone south for him. And yet, what did Joseph have? He ha- what did he have? He had the presence of God in his life. And that says to me, in addition to this pandemic, whatever it is that you are facing today, No matter how painful it is, how confusing it is, how troubling it is, and things may seem to be going from bad to worse, friend, you need to understand this. If you're a child of God, you have the presence of God. God is with you. You're not alone in this. In fact, if you think about it, we have something Joseph didn't even have. Now, Joseph had God with him, but think about this. We have God in us. God is living on the inside of us. Let me give you a verse. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. I love that verse. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, I had an interesting experience a few weeks ago. I woke up one morning, and like I do every morning, I like to stay in my bed for as long as I can and just kind of get my mind acclimated for the day and kind of think through the day before it starts. And I was just laying there in bed one morning, and I was thinking about the day and just kind of thinking about God and thinking about what was going on in the world. And, and I'm telling you, in the most, one of the most real experiences I've ever had with God, just as I was right there laying in bed, I don't know if it was a vision. I, I think it might have been some type of a vision. But I saw like a light, and I could see that light coming into my heart. And I was just like there thinking about that. I, just, I could see it was like an, an orange-yellow light, and I could just see that light coming into my heart. And as soon as that happened, God brought that verse to my mind that I just gave you, Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it was like God spoke to my heart, and God said to me, Remember, John, 
Not only am I with you, but in the person of the Holy Spirit, I am living in you. I'm literally in you. And it energized me and it encouraged me so much. And I meditated on that thought all throughout the day and for the next several days. And I I don't always write things in my journal, but if I have an experience like that, I typically write that down and I record that in my journal. I kept thinking about that. And then in in the afterglow, the aftermath of that that experience I had, it's like God said to me several days later, remember, John, there are two of us, you and me. You're not alone. You know, sometimes if you live alone, you can get to thinking that you are alone. And even if you don't live alone, you may live in a house full of a lot of people, but sometimes you may get to thinking that you're alone. But God gave me just that reminder that he is in me. You see, Joseph was in that pit and he was in that prison. And where was God? God was with him. We could say God was right there next to him. But for those of us who are saved, it's better than that. It's not just that God is next to us. It's that God is living on the inside of us, and we are not alone. Jesus Christ has taken up residence in our lives. And so what do we need? We need faith in God's presence. And when we're going through something, some of you today are going through cancer. Others of you are going through the death of a loved one. All of us are going through this pandemic. Some of you have gone through the loss of a job. You're not sure how you're going to pay the bills. Man, this is, this is serious stuff that's going on right now. Many are beginning to fight, battle anxiety who don't even are normally not anxious. Others are battling with depression who are normally upbeat and positive, and now your spirit is down. You're saying, what has happened to me? I'll tell you exactly what's happened to you. You're growing weary, and you're losing heart, and it's a process. It didn't happen on the first day of the pandemic, but it's starting to happen now. And you say, John, why am I growing weary? Because of the title of my sermon today. Things seem to be going from bad to worse, and there's no end in sight. You see, if God would just speak to us and say, on August the 23rd, it's all going to be over with. We could just hunker down and hang in there till August the 23rd. But we have no such promise. Joseph had no such promise. And I'll tell you this, not knowing when a trial will end and not knowing The outcome of the trial, that's all part of the test. One of the best pieces of advice I ever heard in my life many years ago when I was going through a horrible thing in my life, somebody said to me, not knowing is part of the test. Not knowing how it will work out, not knowing how long it will last, not knowing what the the outcome of this will be, not knowing. That's part of the test. And today, we're all in the same boat. Not a one of us knows when this thing is going to end. And so, what do we have to do? We have to say, God, I don't know when it's going to end, but I know this. You're not only with me, you're in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I receive that by faith. And so, what I'm going to do, instead of worrying about when it's going to end and how it's going to end and all this, what I'm going to do is focus on you your presence and begin enjoying your presence and what that's going to do is increase my faith. So that's the first thing. Now the the big point of this sermon today is we've got to be full of faith but faith in what? Number one, faith in the presence of God. Number two, faith in God's plan. Faith in God's presence, yes, he's in us but faith in God's plan. That is God has a plan and God knows what he's doing. Now in Joseph's life, I just told you the whole story. So it's pretty obvious to see that everything Joseph went through was part of the plan God had to make him the prime minister of Egypt. And after he got in that position, he was able to help a lot of people. But when, if we could have talked to Joseph when he was in the pit or in the prison or when he was forgotten and all these things were going against him, and we could have said to Joseph, Joseph, where is God? 
what is God up to? I think Joseph would have said, I have no idea what God's up to. This makes absolutely no sense to me. And yet in retrospect, it's obvious everything Joseph went through was part of what God had planned for him to go through so that through all that, he could get to the palace. He never would have been called in to interpret a dream for Pharaoh had he not first been down in the prison interpreting dreams for the butler and for the baker. So it was all part of God's plan. And what I'm saying to you today is this pandemic is all part of God's plan. I'm not saying he caused it. I don't think he did cause it. But I will say this. He's a sovereign God and it's all part of God's plan. Whatever you may be going through today in your health, in your finances, in your work, in your family relationship, it's all part of God's plan. I'm not saying God caused it, but what if we said around here a thousand times for so many years, anything that comes into the life of a believer was either sent by God or sifted through his fingers of love. And so however it got here, this pandemic has got to us. And whatever you're going through in your life, God allowed it. Now, that doesn't mean he caused it. Many things God would never cause, but Many things God allows, and if he allows it, God has a plan. So there's a great, that gives me great peace to know that whatever I go through in my life, it's all part of God's plan. It's all part of his plan to do what? To help me to grow in my faith, to make me more like Jesus, to make me a better Christian, to make me a better person, to make me a better minister, to give me a greater influence, to help me be more empathetic and sympathetic and compassionate, to help people with what they're going through in their lives. And so we have to accept it. God, I don't understand it, but it's all part of your plan. Now, if we could have spoken to Joseph when he was in that pit, I'm not sure at 17 years of age if he was able to say, And this is part of God's plan. But I think there came a point in Joseph's life when he figured this much out because it says when he got to that prison, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. I think there came a point in Joseph's life when even in that prison, if we would have said, Joseph, what in the world are you doing in this prison? If God loves you and if God's in control, why would God allow you to be going through what you're going through, falsely accused, imprisoned, forgotten, family turned against you? Joseph, why would, you, why, why would God allow this to happen? I think God would have, Joseph would have said, I don't know what God's up to. I don't know why God allowed this, but I know this. I have God's presence, and I'm trusting God's plan. I don't know what his plan is, but I believe he has a plan, and I know I have his presence And I'm trusting his plan. Friend, that's what we have to do in our lives. We have to say, God, here we are. Pandemic, month number four. Doesn't make any sense. Don't know when it's going to end. And other things that you're going through in your life. God, I don't understand a lot of it. But I believe this. I know this with all my heart. God, I know I have your presence. And I know I can trust your plan. And if we say that to God, what does God do? God fills our heart with peace. I heard a story last week about a farmer who had a big piece of land and he was in the process and, and going through what you have to go through to, to get a lot of brush and a lot of debris. And he was trying to get all that brush and all that, degre- all that debris together so that he could burn it. And as he was doing that one day, he noticed that there was a bird nest in the middle of all that brush. Well, if I let that bird nest stay there whenever I start this fire... The birds who are living in that nest are going to lose their lives. And so he got a rake, and he just destroyed the bird nest. Birds flew away. Well, a few days later, the birds decided that they would come back to the same location in the middle of all that brush. Seemed like to them to be a good place to build a nest. And they 
For the second time, they built a nest. Well, the farmer came out there a day or two later, and, and he saw the nest, and he thought the same thing. If I don't destroy that nest, the birds are going to lose their life when I burn up all this brush. And so he got his rake, and he destroyed that nest. And, and so the two birds, this was a, a little couple, a husband and wife bird, <laughs> birds, and, and they came back to their nest, and they noticed now for the second time their nest has been destroyed, and they flew away, and the wife bird said to the husband bird, now why would that farmer destroy our nest the second time, the second time, and the husband said, I don't know, but let's go try to build it one more time, and they did it for the third time. They built their nest. A few days later, same thing. He saw the nest. He destroyed the nest with his rake, and they came back, and the husband and wife bird were talking, and they said, we don't understand this. The wife said, why would the farmer? We thought the farmer was our friend. He's always giving us seed to eat, and, and uh, he's always whistling at us and always kind to us, and And now for the third time, he's destroyed our nest. And they said, we thought the farmer loved us. The farmer doesn't love us. What those birds didn't understand was the farmer destroyed their nest, not because he did not love them, but because he did love them. And that farmer knew that if he left their nest in the middle of all that brush, as soon as he lit that fire, not only would their nest be destroyed, but those two birds would be killed. He loved those birds so much that on three separate occasions, he destroyed their nest. Now, when I heard that, I thought, you know, that, that kind of applies to what we're going through right now. I think all of us on one level or another kind of feel like our nest has been destroyed. In, in other words, our nest representing our normal lives. And we're wondering, God, if you really love me, why would you destroy my nest like you've destroyed it? And then a few weeks later, it looked like the nest was being rebuilt. And now we've shut church down and everything's kind of back slowed down. God, why have you destroyed the nest again? And from our perspective, we say, God, if you really loved us, why would you be destroying my nest? And yet from God's perspective, God is saying, you don't even understand. The reason that I'm allowing your nest to be stirred up The reason I'm allowing your nest maybe even to be destroyed is because I do love you. And if I don't destroy your nest, if I don't make you uncomfortable in the nest where you are, you're going to be burned up in this fire. You see, God knows that one day this whole world's going up in smoke. And so God, I believe, is using this pandemic to do what? To get people's attention so that all of us in a fresh way and many who've never been saved will turn to God and say, God, my nest got destroyed, but in the destroying of my nest, you were trying to prevent me from being in a fire that would ruin and destroy my life. And so I'm praying that even today people will be saved. Others listening to this say, John, I'm already saved. How does that apply to me? Well, God's stirring your nest up a little bit. Did you know this? Just like a mother eagle has to stir the nest of those little eaglets in order for those eaglets to feel uncomfortable and fly out of the nest. You see, here's a mother eagle and all the little eaglets in the nest, and yet it comes time for those eaglets to fly. The mother knows that the only way those eaglets will ever leave the comfort of that nest is if she stirs the nest makes them uncomfortable, and if she makes them uncomfortable, they're going to fly, and they're going to learn that they can fly. If they never did that, those little eaglets would never fly. What I'm saying to you right now is in the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of whatever you're going through in your life, at the very least, God is stirring all of our nest, and God is teaching us how to fly spiritually, and God is saying what you need as you're beginning to grow weary, as you're beginning to lose heart, What you need is more faith. What you need is a heart full of faith. And the only way that you can have that is for me to stir the nest 
and make you feel uncomfortable so that in the midst of the pandemic, you see, God was with Joseph in the, in the pit, in the prison, and in the palace. And God is with us today in the pandemic. And if we'll just trust him and say this, God, I have your presence and I trust your plan. See, we have to exercise our faith. That would be a good thing for you to meditate as you go through the remainder of this Sunday afternoon. God, I trust your presence and I trust your plan. Maybe, maybe even better say it this way. God, today, help me to enjoy your presence and help me to trust your plan. To enjoy God's presence and to trust God's plan. And to know that he never would stir our nest. He certainly never would destroy our nest or allow it to be destroyed if he didn't have a better plan in mind. And so today, I encourage you, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, just know that God is with you. If you're saved, Christ is in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Enjoy his presence. Trust his plan. And if you'll do that, you're going to begin to grow less weary. And next week, when we come back and talk about how to have a heart full of love, it's even going to help us more. But for today, we're going to stop right where we are, just with the first point of this sermon, and we're going to pray that God would increase our faith. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed, wherever you may be this morning, in your home, if you're traveling, in your automobile, wherever you are right now, would you just say this? Say, God, as you know, I'm beginning to grow weary with this pandemic. And God, with other things that are going on in my life, I'm really growing weary. And I can tell, maybe for the first time in these months, I'm beginning to lose heart. I'm feeling a little anxious. God, I think I'm even battling a little depression. And so, God, what I've got to do is change my focus from the pandemic to you. And so, God, today, I refocus my attention on to you. And I say this to you right now. God, thank you that I have your presence. And thank you, God, that I can trust your plan. You know what you're doing. And it's only for my good. Now, to those today listening to this, you say, John, I'm not sure that I have God's presence. I'm not sure that that Jesus Christ is living in my heart. Well, friend, I want to give you a chance to do what quite a few people have, have done. In fact, I had the opportunity this past week to talk to a young man, and he prayed, and he made 100% sure that Jesus Christ is living in his heart. And you can do the same thing today. We, we saw at the beginning of the service about Luke in Munich, Germany, how he recently, just listening to one of these services, felt convicted by the Holy Spirit, and he gave his heart to Jesus, and he was saved. And so today, you, you may be in Germany. You may be in another country. You may be right here in Pasadena. Who knows? But God has spoken to you today, and you need to receive Christ. Would you pray this prayer? Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. In your name I pray. And all the people said, amen and amen.